touch every one of them. No. What is it? Touch as many of them as you can. Touch most of them. Touch more of them than the Twins have so far this season. <laughs> try, try to touch one of them without making yeah. it out. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Uh, I don't like breaking down individual games on this podcast because I think it's it's certainly not an evergreen baseball podcast in where you can listen to an episode from six months ago and still get value because I think we're, we are a current events twins podcast, but... Uh, we're mostly week by week, big picture things. But I got to tell you, that game, we're recording this on a Tuesday, that game last night in Houston, 12, 15,000 fans, not a big crowd. I've never seen a higher percentage of fans get their money's worth. 15,000 Jerry Lane fans went to that game, and he gave them the best ump show we've seen all season in baseball. Someday, nice. someone's nine year old kid will tell their kids. <laughs> That their daddy brought them to see Jerry Lane, mm-hmm. one of the great home plate umpires in baseball history. I see what Bra- you Bravo, Jerry Lane. Man, take it, a bow, buddy. That took me a second. I didn't know you were setting up a long, elaborate joke about the ump show that went down in Houston when uh, John Ryan Murphy got tossed. I was surprised to see it. I understand the whole disrespect angle. I don't know if you read Lavelle's uh, post-game blog. Basically, I did. Yeah, I thought it was ridiculous, to be honest. And I love 100%. Lavelle. 100%. I, yeah, well, because he kind of he he used conjecture to say that that's not the he basically said John Ryan Murphy argued in a disrespectful way to the umpire. Well, I think calling a pitch down the middle of the plate a ball is disrespectful to the pitcher right. and the catcher. <laughs> yeah. So, and how about Barreos after the game? He just picks up his first major league win, and he's on the post game broadcast with Fox Sports North, and he basically responds. I mean, he's in his second language, but you can tell there's not a whole lot lost in translation. He's worked really hard on his English um, in the past, basically since he was drafted, probably even before that. But he basically said, yeah, you know, I'm a young guy. I know that sometimes I'm not going to get that call, which, come on! It's ridiculous. Why are we still putting up with that in baseball that, well... Yeah, I mean, he's a great pitcher, and he got great life, and that one-two pitch totally fooled Carlos Correa. And, or, uh, I'm sorry, Jose Altuve, and the home plate umpire. Both knees buckled a little bit, and it comes clearly across the corner for a strike, yeah. which, by the way, by definition, by rule, is a strikeout. But uh, he's you're 21 years old, and you're making your second big leagues. I'm, I'm afraid I cannot give you that call. He threw the same pitch back-to-back with a five-minute gap. How the funny is that? The same pitch back-to-back, <laughs> yeah. two different catchers, one of them, Kurt Suzuki, who's yeah. been around a while. 
So Kurt Veteran. Suzuki, I'm sure Jerry Lane and Kurt Suzuki go way back about 10 years. Veteran. I'm gonna, I'll rein that one up. All right, we taught that young catcher a lesson. Well, and if you look, Suzuki was not setting up on the inside part of the plate. First of all, I, so I wrote about that for my five thoughts column after Monday's game, that Jose Barreos, J.O. Barreos, as I usually call him, must have a pretty good sense of humor to throw that same pitch. Now, I was kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek because he, quote-unquote, missed with the one-two curveball, and then he came back with a two-two curveball after the delay. Kurt Suzuki in the game, ball in the same spot. Yeah, strike three. Yeah. You're out of there. That's funny to me. Although I think if you're being like really analytical about it, Suzuki was kind of set up outer third, and then he had a backhand of that ball that came across the inner third of the plate. I, I don't think that's exactly where Suzuki wanted it, but I just found it pretty funny that Braos is like. Oh, you're not going to give me that call, huh? Try again. Maybe want to think twice about that? Actually, I would argue the, <laughs> the second time he threw it was more borderline as far yeah, as ball and strike than the first time he threw was. it. And it's just like, uh, so I, I saw this from, uh, from our guy Parker Hageman for, from Twins Daily, and he got this from ESPN Stats and Info after the game was over last night. Jerry Lane made 25 incorrect ball strike calls in that game last night. 25. So that's of, of the whatever it was, 150-some, 170 pitches that were you could call a ball or a strike. I don't think it counts the batted balls. It just counts the balls that are okay. that are called. So you think, holy cow, that's tw- 25 incorrect ball strike calls in one game. That's pretty embarrassing. That's, that's, I just If you just think about that on the surface, it's pretty embarrassing. It was 2% worse than league average. Mm-hmm. It was basically a league average performance right. by Jerry Lane in that game. And so not only... I, and so I've been critical of Jerry Lane on the radio show, and just because I'm critical, not so much because he missed the call. I know that the best umpires in baseball are going to get 20 of those wrong per game because apparently, the human eye can only get so many pitches right out of 150 or 200 in a game when there's not an actual defined box. You're eyeballing what the box should be, oftentimes from a different angle. You're trying to hide behind the catcher. You're not always going to be center cut behind home plate. What, what really pisses me off is when these guys know for a fact going into the game, they get the same data we do. They know, they get reports, mm-hmm. they know they're wrong like 10 to 20% of the time in any given game. So knowing that going in, why do they still have such an egotistical mindset right. when they're called out by a catcher or by a hitter? If a, if a catcher protests a call, you got to know in your head, you know what, there's a pretty good chance I was wrong on that one. Yeah. So I'm not going to be an ass to the catcher. Some humility it's would like, be welcome. You can, get, you, can be, you can be right and be thrown out of a game because umpires bring their egos into it, and that's what happened with Jerry Lane, and it's freaking ridiculous that this system yeah. is still unchecked throughout baseball. Right. Well, it's pretty maddening the way I look at it. Uh, from my understanding, based on reading Lavelle's blog and just kind of the way I was watching the game too, I I wrote this speculation in my, in my column, but... I, I don't know this. I just made I made it pretty clear that I was speculating. I think Murphy was attuned to the fact that both teams were a little irked by the strike zone. You saw Keuchel a couple times be like, "Hey, what?" Yeah. And Murphy had one when he was batting. That Murphy was up. I think that planted a seed. I think that's where it started. He started to talk to Lane there. If you watched him during his plate appearance, you questioning me, boy? Exactly. Oh, you know, in the sixties. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Did you just call me boy? Yeah. Um, and then during Altuve's plate appearance, Murphy basically he's like, "Okay, where did that pitch miss?" And now this is I'm pulling this from Lavelle's blog. 
Murphy apparently asked him, hey, where'd that pitch miss? Which is a super common thing. I saw it the other day. Preston Tucker gets a ball in on his hands. It was like 96, and it's from Barreos. And he gets his hands through, and he fouls it back. But you can tell it's one of those pitches that it was like, okay, you're a major leaguer, but your heart's still pumping a little fast after that one. It, a 96 was coming at your chest, and you swung and fouled it off. He turns around, and he goes, was that inside? Was that inside? You'll see Joe Maurer do this all the time, and less so now than when he was a catcher, I think. But you see pitchers and catchers and batters consistently trying to check their eye against the home plate umpire's eye. Okay, uh, I took a, I, I swung at a, an outside pitch on a 2-1 count, and now it's 2-2. No matter what the umpire did, the count's 2-2. But if I ask him just a little bit extra, they don't mind this generally. Hey, was that, was that off the plate? The umpire will say either yes or no based on his interpretation, and then you get in a better idea. Okay, that outside slider, all right, I'm, I might have to watch that. I, might, I gotta. He's going to call that a strike? Good to know for next time. Even though he, he might tell you yes or no that was yeah. a striker ball, he's flipping a coin <laughs> right. on those close pitches. Anytime. And so what Murphy basically said, according to Lavelle's blog, is, hey, was that a strike? No answer from the home plate umpire. Maybe he didn't hear him. Maybe he's just It's kind of getting under his skin that, hey, everyone's chirping on it, like, basically every batter. What's going on? And then so Murphy turned around. You saw that. If you were watching the broadcast on TV, he turns around in his crouch and basically looks at him, and he's like, what's going on? Then this is the most egregious part to me. And I realize we've already spent too long talking about it. No, I could, honestly, I could talk about this for another hour. This should be a separate so podcast. Sorry, sorry listeners. Right. <laughs> I'm going to bitch about umping for like an hour on this podcast. This should be a separate podcast. <laughs> we should do the Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Let's start a new podcast umps. where we just bitch about umping until – Electronic strike zones right. are put in. we got to get somehow Rob Manfred to subscribe on iTunes to that podcast because I think that's going to be the important domino to fall. Uh, what's egregious to me, the, the biggest mistake, the biggest escalator of this whole thing, is Murphy turns around and he's looking up through his mask and asks the question again, according to Lavelle's blog. Hey, where did you have that pitch? Like, did that miss inside or low? I mean, probably just looking for information, but I'm guessing... It probably wasn't a very complimentary way to ask it. No, he wasn't just curious at that point. He Correct. was mad, rightfully so, because Correct. they should have got out of the inning and he got a young pitcher. And Basically pitch says, going up. where was that pitch? Yeah. And then this is the part that I've been getting to is then Lane was standing straight up, gets down in his crouch, puts his hands on his knees, and sticks his mask in, uh, an inch away from John Ryan Murphy's mask. And I have no idea what Lane said. I didn't see if a pool reporter talked to Lane after the game. I haven't seen any quotes. So if this is out there, forgive me for my ignorance. Yeah, I haven't seen anything either. But the way that it looked to me, having been in both of those positions, by the way, not in the major leagues, not even in the minor leagues, but Just, being, having been a catcher. It was a dominatrix club, mask to mask. With, it was, no, it was a video game. It was uh, MLB The Show. Uh, you also were into fencing a long time ago, too. <laughs> right. Um, the fact that he then crouched and escalated that situation and puts his mask right in front of Murphy's, and I'm guessing challenged him or said something like, you're towing a thin line, boy, you know, and I don't know why I went southern accent. Because he the, looks like, because Jerry Lane looks like one of those chubby Bond, not Bond villains, but like there's a couple Bond movies that you probably haven't seen. No, the, not. Roger Moore era where there's okay. like these old cops. It's the old 70s southern cop, fat cop, and the, uh -huh. you know what I'm saying? Well, like to, to, to that point, why can't Jerry Lane and every other umpire, knowing full well that you're not going to call a perfect game with strikes and balls? You're yeah. going to get, especially in these close, it's a, 
the, the Twins are struggling. They're frustrated. you got a young pitcher on the mound. People are frustrated. You're going to be wrong. Why aren't you de-escalating? Right. If a catcher asks you, man, where was that pitch? Hey, I called what I called, hey, and, and I wish I could have got it right. It's very possible when I look at – you could. this could be your, your That would be response. so funny. It's very possible when I look at the tape after the game or get my report that I'm wrong on that. But right. let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Next pitch, please. Sorry. You could just be like, you know what, I'm sorry. And, and you see conversations all the time. I'm mm-hmm. sure those conversations happen in baseball, yeah. too, where the ump does respond that way. Yeah, absolutely. But or things- how about uh, who's at first base? He calls Dozier out yesterday, and Dozier's like, what? Gets, goes back to the dugout. He never quite enters the dugout. Twins challenge and win. And the first base umpire was like, yeah, hey, my bad. Why don't you come back out? And I screwed that up. And you saw them chit-chatting and having a joke about it. That, whoops, I messed up. I'm doing my best. You're doing your best. And thank God we got replay to fix this. So here's the other side to this discussion as it pertains to the Twins. A lot of people wondering, where's the passion from Paul Molitor? Why is Paul Molitor not... Knowing that there's tension, knowing that John Murray Murphy has already argued as a batter with Jerry Lane, and there and there might be something happening. Ron Gardenhire, famous for getting ejected about five times per season, maybe even more sometimes. Uh, in fact, I believe as of a couple of years ago, when he was still an active manager, had by far the highest ejection percentage of anyone in baseball. Percentage, at that point. I think, and I remember writing a story about this one time. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he had just passed Jimmy Leland and was on his way, but would never catch. Bobby he, Cox? He, he could never catch Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox was yeah. tossed like 200 times or something. And ridiculous. it's different because you don't see the you know, passion-fueled arguments really as much anymore. And I think, I think, I mean, there were a lot of people upset with me on Twitter for saying, I don't really care that Molitor doesn't get thrown out there. Yeah. I, Murphy was gone by the time Molly had a chance to get to the top step. So he wasn't saving his catcher. And at that point... Then what's what's the point? Just to make a show and show everybody that you care? Well, so but that that would be the point. Yeah, and, and I don't I personally don't see a tactical advantage to that. And I'm in between on that one. For, first off, the problem lies with we have technology. We we could give umpires help in these situations, especially on the corners. Mm-hmm. You know, that pitch was that was a debate as to whether or not it wasn't like low or high. It was right at the belt, if I remember right. It was the umpire thought it was inside because he's sure. sitting. Probably thought angle. it curved around the strike zone. So right. So I mean, first off, the league should have a better mechanism for helping umpires or for just replacing their calls altogether. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's a certain human element that we have to account for, and we kind of saw Tory Hunter brought some kind of a human element yeah. that you can't quantify, and that team responded to it in some way. I don't know if last night would have mattered one way or the other, but sometimes I think if you've got 25 human beings on your roster and you've got a bunch of coaches and you're trying to get all of these guys for eight months every single day to buy into the same thing and everyone has to be cohesive to, to some extent. I'm not saying that you can't have some infighting and still win. You can. The Giants proved that with Bonds and Jeff Kent back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But if the team were to ever feel like, you know, Paul Molitor is kind of a dead ass. And I used to think he was smart, but I, I, don't, I don't know how much he's really into this. I'm fired up about this. That umpire is screwing us for three hours. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he go and stand up for us? Whether those players are right or wrong, and that if they start to believe, and I'm not saying that this is, I'm just making this scenario up. Right. If they start to think, what the hell? He just stands on the top of the dugout step while this umpire screws us for three hours? Yeah. Get out there, and, and every manager, college and pro, and probably some in high school will be able to tell you a story at some point in their careers, 
going out to argue with an umpire, quote-unquote, even though they're more mad at their player, right. they go out and they get tossed just to show their team yeah. it's a charade. <laughs> but they do it to make the team think, sure. yeah, we're all in this together. Sure. So I, I get that. I'm, so I'm not, I'm not 100% against you, but I'm not 100% with you. I think yeah. at some point I think you do have to go out there and show your guys, even if it's just kind of BS, hey, I got your back. Screw this guy. So, we're all in this together. I'm going to go get myself tossed because – He's been screwing us for three hours. Fair point, and point totally taken. I get that, and I get the angle where a lot of fans want to see sort of the passion because they don't see that. But having, and and let me disclose a bias here, I am a huge proponent of the job Paul Mahler's done with the Twins. I think he is the one of the sharpest baseball guys I've ever talked to in my life, and every time... I question something that he's done. After talking with him, I realized that I was wrong, and he thought two levels above me. Sure. So it comes from that sort of biased prism that I'm saying, I, th- I think Mulliter's great. And maybe that's coloring my judgment in thinking, ah, I just don't know how much a f- like a kind of phony ejection. So, But l- let me address that part about if players start to think that he doesn't care, I know that for a fact t- to be false. He spends so much time going over lineups and matchups and late-inning bullpen moves for or against you, righty-lefty splits, these kinds of things, and weighing in, how's the player feeling? How's he swinging at the plate? Because I, by the way, in the games that I've been to Target Field um, since Molitor's taken over as manager, I've never seen him miss a pitch of batting practice. Now, you could argue, is that important? Does anybody care? I bet you he could skip that or just kind of go stand out in the outfield and stand behind an L screen and just kind of be there. But he watches. He cares how hitters are performing. He thinks he can maybe help there. Oh. And he wants to know, too, hey, if, if I need Danny Santana to come up in the ninth inning and shoot a ball to left field as a left-handed hitter against uh, you know, a righty reliever, can I trust that he has that swing right now? He weighs that stuff in that I, I personally wouldn't. I can't. I mean, I look, okay, here's Danny Santana's individual matchups, and batter-pitcher matchups can be misleading, but righty-lefty matchups could help you a little bit. That's on average. So Mahler takes these averages. He knows everything we know about that stuff, and then he also factors in, how's he swinging right now? Is he confident in his swing? So he, he bats this on average against left-handers, but lately he's been swinging and not picking up the ball. So I have to, I have to decrease those numbers and he's, by 10% in my head or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And he's not the kind of guy that says, like, well, he hasn't had a hit in three, three at-bats with runners uh, with the bases loaded, so clearly he can't handle the pressure of bases loaded. He's more, like, process-oriented. God, every time he comes in and faces a lefty that throws 95 or above, his swings are terrible. Like, he just doesn't – either he doesn't track the ball or he doesn't think he can catch up to the velocity, or maybe he physically can't catch up to the velocity. So all of this is wrapped up in a conversation of saying, I think Paul Muller is a very high-level thinker. And maybe that's coloring my opinion of why he should or shouldn't go get thrown out there, but I just don't know how much players are going to – how much additional they're going to see. This guy is working his ass off behind the scenes, even though the product's not working out well how much are they going to glean or or how much is their opinion of him going to be swayed if he goes out there and says, this is unbelievable. Hey, Jerry, I'm not even mad at you, but I need you to toss me right now so I can fire my team up. Yeah. You're out of here, Molly. Get going. Go shower. I don't think 
that has a lot of value. I'm not saying it's zero value. We saw Torrey Hunter stripped naked on the field last year, and that fired people up. But how much does that translate to wins and losses? I'm just I'm not willing to go there. Well, there, so I'll, I'll give you just here's some ammo for your side of the argument here. I could name three of the best managers in baseball over the past 15 years. And and all three of these guys rarely get ejected. Okay, can I just well, you covered one of them, Buck so, Showalter. Buck Showalter, he can get hot, by the way. Sure, but he's pretty rarely going to get tossed. Um, Joe Madden. Uh, I don't actually. I didn't see numbers on Joe Madden. Okay, Tony Larusa. The the other two guys I'm thinking of are Terry Francona and okay. Mike Sosha. Okay. And yeah, definitely uh, on, on that list. On average, and I've seen Sosha and Francona get real fired up too. So it's not that they never get fired up. But on average, they get tossed between one and two, maybe three times a year in 162 games. To me, the model of a big league manager is Mike Sosha. And I don't look at him and be like, man, he's really fighting hard every day to make sure that his players know he has his back. He's just comfortable and does his work, and they've had a great organization for a long time, and he's got some say in it, and I know there's some infighting with the front office and all that stuff. Yeah, I think in recent years, you could definitely pin a few extra things on him than in sure. previous, but overall, Bobby Absolutely. Work, yeah, one of the great I'm just managers. Ta- I'm just taking his career. I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager. Yeah. I think if you can embody that type of personality, it's a winning strategy, so, and everybody's different. Mahler's going to have his own personality. He's, yeah. I think he's being hurt by the fact, by the perception, this is in the minds of uh, Twins fans, at least the the vocal ones on Twitter who are really upset with that, uh, the fact that he didn't get tossed there too. I think he's being hurt by the perception that he, I mean, he's following Ron Gartenhire. He's the opposite of Ron Gartenhire's he, personality. Gardy was a hothead. He's a people person. No one in that clubhouse really ever questioned if he had the team's best interest in mind. It was, he's a people person. Gardy's extroverted uh, to he's the a huge version of Paul Molitor. Yeah, yeah. and Molitor's more calculated. He's more reserved. He's, um, I think stoic's the wrong word, but like he just has this measured nature about him. And I respect the heck out of that. That's kind of how I am generally, too. Uh, it doesn't come across nearly the same in sound bites on TV, yeah. in quick cameos in a in the middle of a game with an argument with an umpire. Their personalities are just totally different, and I think personally, I sort of have to look past that. I, I don't I don't judge them in a vacuum. I th- I think you judge each person based on their own abilities, their own personality, and ultimately their performance. I want to get to at least two or three other things in this episode before we uh, bid adieu. And I, there's no really easy transition because there's like, there's like three different bins I want to put these in. So I'll just start with this this other thing that's more of a bit. I know they won the game last night, and so we're doing this off of a win. And Barrios yeah. pitched well, and so sure. What are they? They're eight and eighteen at the time of this recording. Yeah, that's the butt. They're still ten games under <laughs> right. five hundred. They're they're. they're worst record uh, tied with the Astros now yeah. for worst record. He's a really friend. nice guy, but. but and so my, you and I talked about this on my radio show a little bit. My question is, is it time to start judging Terry Ryan for these last five years? Because I, I gave him – he took over for Bill Smith after 2011's debacle, 99 losses. The cupboards were bare. They traded away the year before uh, a top-catching prospect in Wilson Ramos. They, just, like, they, they were whiffing on draft picks. Yeah. So Terry takes over. 2012, 13, 14, 15, this is his fifth season – in his second stint as Twins general manager. And they popped up once last year. They were in contention, to their credit, till the final weekend of the season. It was a fun year. Ultimately, though, 
They were barely above 500. So it wasn't like it's kind of what you were saying all offseason. Let's not go crazy here. They didn't win 95 games. It's not like they're back back. Yeah. They were interesting. They contended. And in some ways, they probably contended because the win total to contend was lower than it ordinarily sure. would be. They won four more games than they lost. Right. I mean, they were two games above the 500 line, right. 83 versus 81 mm-hmm. wins. Mm-hmm. And I just I look at this thing right now, and I've been very – I've defended Terry Ryan for years. And I've, I've, I've gone more at ownership when it comes to what's the deal with this franchise, ownership's lack of curiosity or – uh, ownership's lack of looking at other organizations and saying, how can we maybe build, let's go be the best at something. Let's go be the best analytics team. Let's go be the best something. They used to be the best scouting team 20, 15, 20 years ago. And I just think if you were to give a different GM this exact structure, new ballpark, not a great TV deal, but a mm-hmm. mid-pack payroll team, it's not like you're the Tampa Bay Rays mm-hmm. and you just can't spend money. You, you were to give Theo Epstein or Andrew Friedman or Dave Dombrowski these last five years, would that GM have given us four 90 loss seasons, assuming that this might be headed the same way, yeah. and one barely above 500 season? It's a bad look right now, the way this team is 8-18 eight and 18 at the recording of this podcast for Terry Ryan five years into his second stint as GM. Totally. Uh, you asked me this question on the radio show, and I want to add another layer to it. As smart of a baseball guy as I think Terry is, there's another guy I'm, I'm maybe a little biased. I don't know. Well, the, um, the reason why I've defended him for so long is the same thing you're probably about to say, which is I, I think he's one of the smartest baseball people I've ever been around yeah. over the past eight years or however long I've been covering this team, beat or no beat. We disagree sometimes on surface-level things like stats and that sort of thing, and we'll butt heads every once in a while because Terry talks to the media every day when they're at home, by the way, and the traveling media on the road. He's... Easily the most accessible general manager in professional sports. Yeah. Uh, by the same token, I don't think accessibility equals production. I, I, I don't think just because you're willing to talk to, you know, nobody's like me means that that's you, a, a passing evaluation of the job that you've done. So I try to strip both of those elements out of it. I, I try to look at where I might have possible biases and, you know, make decisions in spite of them without them driving the decision, right? So... I mean, I have to just think that's a fairer way to approach it than to say, I'm non-biased. It's like, okay, all right, are you? No, I think everyone's Everybody biased. Everybody has every, some. Yeah, exactly. In every, every phase human, of life. Every human has some sort of bias, and if you don't want to acknowledge it, well, then you're probably just going to let it lead you to mistakes. If you grew up with parents and or teachers and or friends at all in your life. Or watched TV. Form, yes, or, or listened to radio, <laughs> you formed biases. <laughs> Uh, for decades, yes. So we get, yeah, we get. So acknowledging our biases, I think, is important. But on this more smaller picture that we're talking here, uh, I, your question was basically: if Theo Epstein ran the Twins, would they be in a better spot? Now, that sort of discredits the minor league system that Terry Ryan has fortified, and now, but honestly, looks great. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you consider the fact that Barrios is twenty one, Duffy's young, although not that young, he was a college guy. Uh, Sano is young, Max Kepler is young, Eddie Rosario is young, and I've got my questions about him, but the fact is he's playing his second big league season right now. Um, and that's, you know, go to the second wave of prospects, then fine. You got, you've got names there, too. The fact is the Twins' youth and the, just the relative talent level, albeit raw, is very strong. It's, it's incredible. So 
I think we could ask the question, hey, would Theo Epstein have had more wins in the major leagues? Like, probably. I think he probably would have. Would he have built the same minor leagues? Maybe. I don't know. I, I have no idea, no way of answering that question. But let me flip the question around on you. Because I think the Twins and Terry Ryan are just such a good fit. Jim Polad basically said, all right, hey, you're a smart guy. You've been here forever. Do your thing. I'm not going to meddle. And I respect that about Polad. He basically said, baseball, that's you. You are, I don't know what his actual title is. He's like a vice president or president of baseball or, I don't know. We call him the GM. I feel like it's GM is in his title. I'm not but sure. He's, but he's got an organizational title, too. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a pecking order there over at One Twins Way, and he's one of the higher-ups, obviously. But, uh, so I think that's a good fit. I give Polad credit for not meddling. But I, I would say... Unlike, uh, the uh, the flip side of your question is Theo Epstein would uh, Andrew Friedman would these guys come in and run this team uh, not into the ground but like it clearly hasn't left the runway yet would they have done a better job part two of that question if Terry Ryan was in New York uh, man, uh, general manager of the Yankees or if he was general manager of the Seattle Mariners or general manager of the St Louis Cardinals. Would he have experienced this same tenure, this length of tenure, basically, based on his job performance? And I think the first time you would say yes. I think. He, well, I don't. Actually, the first time I would say no. I think he would. It took, it took him like five or six years. Right. But if you consider the fact that they weren't trying, basically, in the '90s. I mean, the Twins. I wasn't covering the team, and I was a little tot, so I, I don't know the inner workings of this, but the way I look back on it, the rosters they assembled, the money they spent, the trades they made, the free agent acquisitions, they weren't trying. There was about three years in the late 90s where they were on the verge of being contracted, Correct. and they just went, starting in like 1999, it was mostly young players, and and that was all part of the process, which built up to 2001. Yeah. Sure, but I would say that then in the 2000s, from 2000 until 2010, you'd have to give a GM, a favorable review. I mean, even Bill Smith hadn't totally screwed it up by then. Uh, he'd made some mistakes along the way, but in 2010, it was a playoff team, you know? Yeah, it was a playoff team on the surface, and it was a good team in 2010 right. with brittle bones and osteoporosis right, and, like, right. like, a little cancer coming into the lungs or something, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it, was the, the, it was not good. Where, where they were at as an organization, you're right, despite the fact that they were winning in the majors. But... I would argue that his second tenure has been much different. You can look at the restocking of the cupboard, but our buddy Cursapunto on 1500ESPN.com wrote a column the other day evaluating all of the future planning of trades and free agent signings that Ryan's made and um, contract extensions that he's made in his second stint uh, with an eye toward the future. So it ignores the you know Kevin Correa contracts and things like that. It's not good. The body no. of work... The second time as GM, in terms of free agents, trades, and contract extensions, just looks bad. Excuse me. I think the the mark of a really good mid-market GM, mid-to-small-market GM, and Terry absolutely was this the first time around, as you mentioned, the 2001 resurgence and all the way through. It's cashing in on your on your trades. You're when when you're dumping a veteran that you're or a guy who's in his prime, where you're going to be unable to sign to a long term contract. Yeah. It's selling high and cashing in in certain moments when you sure. have to. It's developing and and overseeing the drafting process. And I think it's finding the right mid level free agents who are really going to supplement and make an impact with that young core group. 
And he's been 50-50 at best on sure. all those things I just mentioned. Yeah. You know, when you're going to trade a legit starting center fielder in Denard Span, one of the better, more reliable leadoff hitters in the league, mm-hmm. and you're going to trade him straight up for an A-ball pitcher, at the time I praised that move because I trusted Terry Ryan's acumen, and I think there's still a chance. In fact, Alex Meyer starts tonight, so by the time people listen yeah. to this, maybe well, he throws eight innings and strikes out ten well, probably Well, yeah, we'll see. I am uh, not convinced that he's a starter in the long term. And he's not either, it sounds like, Correct. from your conversations. But, um I guess my grand point on this is I don't think Terry is the worst general manager in baseball. This no. is Terry Ryan version 2.0. Terry Ryan version 1.0 was one of the best GMs in baseball. Yeah. With what with what he had to work with, you know, he's going into the uh, to to one of those cooking shows, Top Chef, and Terry Ryan walks in. And his opponent is Theo Epstein over here with the Boston Red Sox and a $150 million payroll in 2003. Mm-hmm. And Theo Epstein is told, all right, you get a filet mignon cut, any seasoning you want. You get to choose your potato and choose your vegetable and just make a great plate. Oh, Terry, okay, you're going to be competing against Theo. You get a watermelon, a <laughs> box of toothpicks, and uh, some bubble gum. Okay, so whichever one of you can create the best meal wins at the end of the day. Much more difficult to be uh-huh. a top chef if they're giving you watermelon and uh, a couple hard-boiled <laughs> eggs, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but now it's no longer a bottom-five payroll. It's a mid-pack right. payroll. There's, right. There are limitations, but not as many as there were the first time around. I don't know. We still haven't seen if he has that gear to be able to maybe trade a couple prospects for a key player. Sure. Go use that money that you have in free agency that didn't exist 10 years ago and sign someone to make an impact. Mm-hmm. Well, they've been really hit or miss on the free agent signings. He's... He's not the worst GM in baseball, but he's probably somewhere between like 12th and 20th his second time around. Just kind of meh. Yeah, I don't know where he ranks because it's hard to rank him. But I, yeah, I, I mean, uh, truthfully, I can't pay nearly as close attention to the other GMs in in baseball as I do to Terry Ryan. But I would say that uh, to your point about him not being the worst, I I mean, I just agree with that. But you really need to now that you're in the 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 mid payroll kind of area you have this wave of prospects that's coming up and is supposed to be your flotation device driving you you know to the promised land i think i just mixed like three metaphors there yeah you went Hang real, with like, me. you went kind of metaphorical and cliche a little bit but there. then it also got biblical for a second yeah promised land is a, bl- a biblical cliche yeah. yeah very nice job there well i would say that now that you have this wave here or starting to get here. Oswaldo Arcia, Miguel Sano, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton, J.O. Barreos, Trevor May, uh, Alex Meyer, this Tyler Duffy. This wave is here. You need to capitalize on that wave. You, you can't afford as an organization to screw this one up. Because you've got about six years here where you've got these guys before they can opt to go work for whomever they want. And around those players, you should be able to build a good competitive ball team. Here's the, here's the trick. This is when we'll know uh, how good of a job Terry Ryan, like how well-suited he still is to run the current Twins. Because, you know, in the NBA, there are some coaches who can take you from, like, you're just, you're terrible, God, you're bad, to, all right, you're 500, you're sniffing around the playoffs, and then maybe over the course of three years, you kind of develop into, all right, that's a playoff team now. And then you lose in the first round every year, and you you get some more talent, and you just kind of underachieve, and you're disappointing. Well, okay, time for a new coach. Thank you very much, former coach, for getting us to this place. You were instrumental in our development, Mark Jackson, but we need Steve Kerr. Are you firing Terry Ryan right now? No. 
that's another podcast. Burying the lead 40 minutes into this. Right. Derek wants Terry Ryan <laughs> right, right, fired right. on the spot. Well, God, now and somebody's going to tweet that. And thank goodness Terry Ryan's not on Twitter. <laughs> um, I can say that with reasonable confidence, that Terry Ryan doesn't have a Twitter account. Um, but I think that there's a difference between the GM that can stockpile talent and the GM that can capitalize on trades that makes your team eh, kind of good to, whoa, there's a team to watch for the World Series this year. And I still have questions. As much as I respect Terry Ryan, I have questions that he's the second of those GMs. I think the Twins need that GM right now. Here's where Terry Ryan can prove that. This summer, 8-18, eight and 18, you're 10 games under five hundred a month into the season. I'm sorry it's over. The math just doesn't work. Not only do the Twins have to overcome that deficit in the Central before the end of the season, at the end of September, beginning of October, they have to overcome that deficit by eh, mid-July. They have to start playing like a great yes. baseball team to say, oh, hey, we should be buyers. You should go get your Johnny Cueto and Ben Zobris. They've got to gain, I would say, if they're below 500 by the time July rolls around. Sell, July, sell, sell, yeah. sell, So they've got to gain 10 games in a hurry here over if the next If I'm the Twins, I wait it out. I wait and see what's happening. I, let, I mean, I'm listening to phone calls. If people are calling me about Trevor Plouffe, if they're calling me about Kevin Jepsen, well, fine. Yeah, I'll pick up the phone and we'll talk, but I'm not aggressively peddling players right now. But in July, if this thing hasn't turned around and it's not a huge turnaround and like uh, shows, because I think this has the bones of a great baseball team, but it's not a great baseball team. So unless you show demonstrably that you are that great baseball team to prove that as GM, I should go add to this. I'm tearing this thing down. It's a fire sale. And I don't mean trading Oswaldo Arcia. I don't mean trading Byron Buxton or anything stupid like that. I mean, all right, Trevor Plouffe, great. You've got one year left, and we love you, buddy. You are a, you're a solidifying force at third base. He comes back tonight. Yeah. 29, you're going into free agency, not next season, but the year after that. This might be the high point of your market in terms of what we can get for a trade. Sorry, love you, goodbye. Thank you for your services unclogs a log jam because now Sano goes back to third base and you don't now at least you have one fewer mm -hmm. corner outfield D-League softball player. Although Plouffe is a legit glove at third base. So totally. I don't want to lump him into the D-League. I but. do believe that Trevor Plouffe's a better third baseman than Sano right mm -hmm. now. There are I, some I people agree. some people that I've seen don't agree with that. I currently believe that. But um, look at all the pieces this roster has that are of no use to you either next year or the year after that when theoretically you should be aspiring to contend for a World Series. Trevor Plouffe, Kevin Jepsen, Kurt Suzuki. Let's keep going around. Uh, what are other positions? I mean, maybe Eduardo Escobar. I don't know. Jorge Polanco, what is he in your organization? Uh, there's There are some definite spots. Um, Eduardo Nunez, but I don't think you get a whole lot for him. He's probably just as good sitting on your bench, being your bench I back. I think the fact that he can wear about five different gloves. You might. And he can, he's shown in the last couple of years he's got a little bit better with the bat. He can, sure. he can hit a home run once in a while. You could get a fringe maybe prospect. I don't know. I he's don't know a good what... super utility guy to have on a team. I think position flex, Cubs, Rays, mm -hmm. Red Sox, look at teams. Good teams have position flex. I don't know what the price point on him is, like what you're getting in terms of prospects. And I'm not saying the Twins need to start their rebuild over. I think their rebuild has just reached a bit of a stall. Like It's unfortunate that the record is this right now, but it's their reality. And it might actually be a bit of a blessing in disguise because if you were like a 500 team this year yeah. and then you mortgaged, you sold uh, Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler at the trade deadline to get that one more piece to get you to the wild card spot and lose in the first round. Like 
that's a that's a huge buzzkill, and that'd be a horrible outcome for the Twins. But what if instead you don't treat yourself now as playoff contenders and just say, okay, well, shoot, how can we be better postseason contenders in 2017? Now, fans are going to be berserk about that. I get it. The patience should be wearing thin with this team. It's been a five-year rebuild, and it's gone backwards, seemingly. I don't think it has gone backwards, but I get why it's maddening. I get why it's frustrating. But I don't think treating 2016 as your World Series year is any help. I think it's negative. I think that's detrimental. If you were to trade if you trade somebody like Kevin Jepson, fine, you're not losing anything next year. But if you trade somebody like Trevor May or Max Kepler or Jorge Polanco, like, holy smoke, suddenly you might be losing a future talent that could potentially help it's you down the road. It's pretty crazy, actually, that we've... We're sitting here first week in May, and we're already having conversations about who they should trade before the Strip deadline. Rip it down, and we should. And I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent We should probably do that episode sometime in the next couple weeks. It should be soon. This team, this team, I, I I could look at other teams around the league, even Houston, and say, you know what, Houston's about 10 games below 500. But looking at that roster and what they did last year, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Houston still made some kind of a run and, and pushed back the, toward a wild card spot. The pitching too that scares you a little bit. Boy, the Twins, it just feels like there's too many odds and ends, too many guys who don't have a defensive position. If this team had a better outfield defense or something you could hang your hat on, I like a lot of the pieces. I don't like a lot of them and, and the way they fit together. Right, not right now. So this team, like, I, this is a whole other podcast, and we only have, like, a minute left because uh, I'm going to be the buzzkill who has to end this for a meeting I have to get to. But we can save a lot of this for maybe next week. Sure. Um, I, would, I would re-identify what this team is going into next year. I would emphasize, for the first time at Target Field, outfield defense. Max Kepler can play some outfield. He should be more ready next year. Byron Buxton can play some outfield. He should be more ready next year. And then your other spot can either be Rosario or Danny Santana, whatever it is. I want three legit defensive outfielders making my mediocre pitching staff behind Jose Barrios look like the Royals' mediocre pitching staff has for three years. You're telling me Jeremy Guthrie and... Chris Young and Edinson Volquez just overnight got better as pitchers right. because they got better. Right. No, it's because Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, it's because uh, Lorenzo Cain and Gerard Dyson are out mm-hmm. there catching everything. So, so to your point from an earlier podcast, the day that this season was over for the Twins was the day that the Twins admitted defeat and sent down Byron Buxton. It was kind of a glossed over detail because, we, well, yeah, Buxton's struggling so bad, you got no choice. He's got to go to Rochester. Yeah. But for this team to be... On the front line of the American League Central, Byron Buxton needed to be great, and he's not ready to be great. That sucks for the Twins, and they made some other moves that harmed them in terms of not being in a better position should Buxton struggle, but that's where they are. Buxton is ready next year, batting leadoff and playing center field. This team's a much different animal, and you should build around that. You should build around Buxton, build around Sano, build around Barrales, and you've got something. Don't treat yourself like a postseason contender anymore. So with that... We'll see you in Fort Myers. <laughs> I got one thing, actually, before we do wrap it up and uh, end all the buzz killing. Uh, if you do like the Twins, and you must if you're still listening to this podcast this far in with how much doom and gloom we've gone over this episode, you should check out my mailing list. I'm putting it together for my five thoughts columns. Um, I write a five thoughts column a couple times a week after Twins games. When they're here, I go to the game and report off them. When they're on the road, I watch them on TV and still kind of try to lend my insight and analysis if you want to sign up for the mailing list, you get every Five Thoughts column emailed to you uh, every night, basically, when I write them. Just go to our recent Five Thoughts column, 
there is a link at the bottom, and it just put your email in there, subscribe, and I'll send you every one of those going forward. I would not shamelessly pitch that if I didn't think this audience would like it, but if you're listening this far into a Touch Em All podcast when the Twins have treated you this way for the first month of the season, uh, I think you might like it. You should check it out. Now we'll see you in Fort Myers. <laughs> Stay tuned for 60-second AP News headlines.